to the News for Jags podcast. I'm Jamal St. Cyr here along just side Justin Barney as we march towards training camp. Another week, another podcast. Justin, uh, things are quieting down around the team, which is a good thing right this time of year. Uh, I think the biggest random news around the Jaguars is Adam Gostas getting the full back Yeah, tattoo. how about that? That was uh, pretty impressive. How, how long did they have to lay there for that? I don't know. Full I don't back think I tattoo. That's, that's <laughs> unbelievable. I saw that on TMZ the other day and just could not imagine the pain and how still he had to be for that entire back tattoo. Yeah, I don't think I could have stayed there for the entire time. But you know what? After last year's news cycle, if that's the biggest news from the Jaguars when there, when there's not supposed to be any, it's a good that's thing. And, you know, we did have the, <laughs> we'll the, take that. We did have the, um, you know, the, the uh, bleacher reports. Talking about, no, the Bleacher Report, it was uh, Barstool, I'm sorry, about the Trevor Lawrence crypto investment uh, blunder. You know, they erroneously reported that Trevor had invested his entire signing bonus last year, I believe $24 million, into a crypto, into the blockchain, uh, or Blockfolio, whatever company it, uh, he was with. And uh, Trevor politely corrected uh, them this week on that. That was uh, he, Trevor's words where he was confused, or you must be confused about uh, my actual signing bonus from there. So it was not as bad as uh, as uh, Barstool had uh, reported. So I don't think Trevor would be a guy that would invest $24 million, uh, into crypto. It just seemed like right. some, uh, you, you do a little bit more research on that Barstool and uh, you would think uh, that Trevor had a little bit better uh, financial management around him to, right. to steer him away from doing that. But just a really, really a poor reporting uh, by Barstool on that account. It, it really was. It, that's one of those things that I feel like has been floating around for a little bit where people kept saying that, oh, Trevor invested his uh, whole signing bonus in the crypto market because they wanted to, you know, really hype up crypto at the time. But that just wasn't what happened. He got a signing bonus for, for signing with these people. And, you know, to be 100% honest, we have no idea if he ever withdrew that signing bonus. We just know it was given to him in the crypto market. It's been over a year later. He, how difficult would it have been for him to say, you know what, I've made enough extra on this and withdrawn it. it yeah, so the, the whole story was based on a lack of information and people grasping at straws. Uh, but very good on Trevor's part to, to feel the need to go on ahead and just clear that up and make sure that everyone knew. And it, it. it was misleading when Blockfolio announced that last year that Trevor had agreed to the deal, saying a signing bonus would be paid into that. So I think there was the, the uh, misconception, really, really a bad, I think, bad marketing ploy from Blockfolio to kind of even suggest that uh, his entire NFL signing bonus was put into that uh, that crypto wallet and, um, you know, you follow the financial markets and the, see the bath that uh, crypto, Bitcoin, everything, uh, everything in that uh, that realm has taken a beating, and that led to it. It made a catchy headline. It did. It, it made, made a catchy headline for, for the, Barstool. The biggest name in the NFL that has really been connected heavily to crypto. I mean, you got guys like Odell Beckham Jr. who got paid in crypto. Russell Okun. Um, uh, there's one other one that I and I just can't think of his name right now. Uh, Saquon Barkley's also gotten paid, but all of them have dealt with injuries or kind of like fringy fan names right now. But Trevor Lawrence, you know, when you say that, it sparks a lot of interest. He's a quarterback. He's mm -hmm. a former number one overall pick. Yeah. He's the guy. And the, the rest of these guys were signing contracts on low ends and putting them into crypto. So it was a little bit different situation. So he was the one that they felt like could really uh, hook this story to. 
Sadly, it was based on uh, not not very good information. Trevor's cleared all that up now, so. And you would hope but Trevor that, would have a little bit more financial acumen around him than I think so. uh, than to sink twenty four million uh, signing bonus into uh, really a, a volatile market like that. So I think when all was said and done, and there's been some uh, some tweets kind of unearthed that intimated kind of how much Trevor invested into that crypto could have been as little as twenty five thousand um, into that uh, block folio. Uh, signing bonus and 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 everything. It was a signing bonus of what he got is from this investment firm, not any portion of his NFL signing bonus. I think Trevor cleared that up uh, with that tweet. But just funny from a national perspective uh, that Jacksonville just attracts and you know Jacksonville's an easy target. We've talked about it before and on here just about the the national disrespect for Jacksonville. It's bad. Um, and that you know it it kind of played into the Urban Meyer situation last year, the struggles of Trevor. And uh, it was just another, really another kind of a low blow from a, from a national outlet to kind of tie Trevor uh, and his financial stuff to, um, you know, to, to losing $24 million. I think uh, poor journalism on Barstool's part just for a headline. No, and, and you're right. I think right now it's a lot more likely that you get these, a lot of these national outlets taking shots at the Jaguars. It's, that's why it's almost rare when we'll mention things like ESPN saying that, you know, or someone on ESPN picking the Jaguars to do something positive because it's a lot more likely that they kind of take that tongue-in-cheek approach and kind of nudge, oh, the Jaguars are terrible, than to give them any sort of credit, which is why you, you have the running gag of them going to commercial before the Jaguars draft pick. That has been referenced every year during the draft. They know it's a thing, but yet somehow it still continues to happen outside of when they have the number one overall pick when you really just can't do it. So, you know, it, it, it's very interesting uh, you know, the quickest way to fix all of this is if the Jaguars can get good and start winning some games consistently. That's true. And it's, you know, you touched on it before. It's optimism season uh, around these parts. We have one month from today until that NFL training camp opens in Jacksonville. Players report December 20, or excuse me, July 24th at Episcopal School of Jacksonville. Uh, so we're one month out, one month out from training camp. Uh, beginning in Jacksonville, just it does not seem. We talk about it all the time, but summer is not long. No, summer is not a long period of time uh, when you're when you're getting rookie minicamp done, the draft, uh, mandatory minicamp, which just wrapped up recently. Uh, it's not a lot of time for these players to uh, kind of kick back and enjoy things for uh, before the real grind begins. And then you're talking July up until January. It's full bo- full bore. Here in Jacksonville, one month from today, one mm-hmm. month from today is when training camp starts. It just does not seem like summer was this short when I was a kid, does it? <laughs> no, when I was a kid, it felt like summer lasted forever, but, you know, summer is pretty short now, and, yeah, it'll be a month, and then the Jaguars will be back to work, the rookies and the veteran players both reporting on the same day um, to get things started. Uh, as we kind of start our rollout toward training camp, this week we've been – looking at all of the different positions along the Jaguars' offense over on News for Jags. If you want to look at those, all you have to do, head over to newsforjags.com, look underneath that sports page. Um, let's go through a few of those. One of the things that, um, that, that a lot of people are talking about is, of course, wanting to see Trevor Lawrence in that second year. And Trevor's not the only second-year quarterback. I, I was tuned into ESPN earlier this week, and they were ranking some of the second-year quarterbacks in different spots, and they said they thought that Trevor had the most pressure on him of any second-year quarterback. And I know we've kind of talked about maybe there being some additional pressure on Trevor before on the podcast, but 
when I saw that, I immediately went, no, I don't think that's right. I don't think so. <laughs> I would put Zach Wilson as having more pressure than, than Trevor Lawrence. See, I'd, I'd stay in the AFC South. I'd go Davis Mills. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, I, I... see, because here, here's my thing with him, is if, he, if the Texans don't win games, he gets replaced. They're yeah, supposed to be good that's... quarterbacks in this year's draft. If he doesn't find a way to get them out of that top ten and legitimately put together six, maybe even seven wins – to get them out of that, you know, realm where they can get a franchise quarterback or show enough to say he's the guy, they replace him. If they win three games, even if he looks fine, he gets replaced. So, uh, to me, that says pressure on and him. That, and that's a good point. But Davis Mills, he wasn't a first-round pick. He wasn't a number one or number two pick. Um, and I think there's more pressure on Zach Wilson in New York. The media spotlight, the glare up there in New York is, is extremely bright. There's been a history of quarterback failures. Jacksonville could be considered in that realm, too. But I think that there's probably more pressure on Zach Wilson in New York, you know, upgraded around him, uh, than there is on Trevor Lawrence. I, I think Trevor gets a pass from last year, at least around here. I mean, they're so dysfunctional. Uh, so I, I think Trevor is in a better position than a Zach Wilson is. And I do think there's more. You know, we, Trey Lance is, is a guy, too. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on him, what the Niners gave to get him, gave up to get him. But Jimmy Garoppolo's there in, in San Francisco right now, so I don't know how much pressure is on Trey Lance. I would, I would lean on Zach Wilson has more pressure on him than Trevor Lawrence. I, I, I think there'll be a quicker hook in New York um, than there will in Jacksonville. Um, I think Trevor's better suited. I think he's going to respond after last year. So I do. We've got you know obviously three different three different positions. Uh, from the podcast, from you, and then from me. I, I just don't think Davis Mills has that much invested in him. He is, I mean, he's a later-round draft pick. Uh, the Texans are in the toilet. They beat Jacksonville twice yeah. last season. They beat so, Jacksonville twice. Um, I, I just don't, I don't, unless Davis Mills has a Pro Bowl-type season, I don't think he's the guy in, in Houston moving forward. I could see the, I see the pressure on Zach Wilson for sure. I do think they've, done a decent enough job of putting some weapons around Zach Wilson where if this season doesn't go well, that he, I mean, he's, he may be done. I mean, with the, the amount of wide receivers that mm -hmm. they've really built around him, he's going into his second year in an offense. There's been stability. They feel like they've built the offensive line. The last thing they feel like they kind of need is the quarterback because they brought in a pair of talented running backs. They brought in some wide receivers for him to throw the ball to. If he doesn't show up, it's on Zach. Yeah, he was. He was. Know? He last year he was that project guy. He was not Trey Lance kind of project, but he was that guy who needed some time. They did not expect him to be that Trevor Lawrence kind of polished and ready to go from day one. And we obviously saw how Trevor uh, his situation worked out in Jacksonville. So I do think uh, you know this may be a little bit better of a year for Zach Wilson just because you know going into last year he just wasn't a guy that was expected to you know enter and be that super you know that that kind of the face of the franchise just he just didn't have that experience he was not a Trevor Lawrence Mac Jones kind of player when he entered the NFL so uh, I do think there's more pressure on him he's got to be better this year um, in that New York market especially that. Uh, it shines a little bit brighter and a little bit hotter under the uh, the media lens up there in New York. That's very true. All right, if Trevor's going to get it done, he's not going to get it done alone. The Jaguars have added some 
pieces around him on offense. One of the big guys they brought in this year is Christian Kirk. And as we were kind of going through the, the stats on the team, one of the things that kind of popped up is there haven't been a whole lot of 1,000-yard receivers in Jacksonville history. Only five different receivers have gotten the job done. That's embarrassing. Yeah, it's, it's not good. That's I embarrassing. Mean, you've got Jimmy Smith and Keenan McCardell. Great. And then you've got Allen Robinson, Allen Hearns, DJ Chark. That's your five. The only five receivers in franchise history to ever top 1,000 yards. And that the team has been around since 1995. It, let's let's not forget that. This it, team has uh, been around for quite some time, and it's just unbelievably embarrassing that those are the five guys that have cracked that 1,000-yard mark. Right. And so now the question is, can Christian Kirk be number six? I mean, they brought him in here. They paid him a ton of money. He is going to be the number one wide receiver there should be some volume there in the, as far as the targets go, but I don't. He's never cracked a thousand yards in his career. He, but he's also only been a number three receiver at best in his career. So, could this be a career year for him? It's very likely, mm -hmm. but is it going to be enough to get him to a thousand? I don't know. I think so. I think he can crack a thousand this year. He's going to be the guy in town. Trevor's going to be better. Um, he almost got there last year with Kyler Murray. And I just think he's going to be that guy. If he doesn't let that enormity of the contract situation get to him, he's going to go out and produce. I mean, they're expecting him to be that 1,500-yard receiver year. Right. I mean, with that kind of money uh, and that what you invested in him, he's going to have to be that guy in Jacksonville unless Zay Jones uh, somehow supplants him. But, I mean, look how bad the team was last year. Marvin Jones had 832 receiving yards and he was struggled to hold receiver. on to the ball. So, you know, he's 170 yards away from cracking 1,000 last year. Um, I think Christian Kirk has more upside. He's going to be the guy this year. Trevor's going to be a year older. So I do think Christian Kirk becomes that number six guy in Jacksonville that hit 1,000. He's got to be. He's got to. You'd like to think so. And I, I do think that he has the, the – the role is there. He should have the volume of targets and – He's going to move around the field. They're going to put the ball in this guy's hands. He should get there. But when you start looking at the plethora of targets and, and how they're going to try and use some of these guys, that's the only thing that kind of gives me pause. Like, we know Marv is going to get you close to, I mean, throughout his career, his floor is like 800 yards in a season, which we saw him hit last year. So you figure, if, all right, if he's going to get you 800, Zay Jones is going to get something. So his floor and his career is typically around five, 600 yards in the season. All right, so let's say that's 600 there. Uh, I still think LaVishka Chenault's going to get you at least five, 600 yards over the course of the season because he's going to get his touches. They seem like they think they, they're going to be able to use Jamal Agnew in some spots at receiver, so he may get a few hundred yards in receiving over the course of the year. And then we got a pair of tight ends that should be heavily influenced in the passing game. There seems like there's a lot of mouths to feed. And I didn't even mention Travis Etienne, who we've seen wants to line up in the slot. It's yet to see if Doug Peterson's going to let him do that. But he should be heavily involved in the passing game. So there's going to be some mouths to feed there's on gonna this be, offense. There's going to be, and that's that would be your only worry. you got to figure there's going to be guys, attrition. There's going to be some injuries. Uh, so I do think some of those those touches will resolve themselves uh, in that situation, just like last year. I mean, Jamal Agnew kind of emerged as a serviceable, maybe 5A, 5B receiver, injured. LaVisca was, uh, I mean, struggled beyond uh, even words uh, in the offense last year, and uh, more is expected of him this year. But I do think 
again, even with those mouths to feed and everybody to get touches and uh, the uncertain role of Travis Etienne, how does he factor in that passing game? Uh, I do think Christian Kirk is going to be that guy who uh, cracks that that thousand. He's got to be when you're paying him that much. They're not paying him that much to uh, to be a 700 yard receiver. You're right. No, he there's going to be a lot there, and he's very but he's very quarterback friendly receiver. I think he's going to get a ton of receptions. I wouldn't be surprised if the, his number of passes caught is near the top in franchise history when it's all said and done. I'm just not sure how many of those catches are going to be far down the field. I know when I right after they signed him, I asked Trent Bulky about Christian Kirk being a chain mover, and he didn't seem to like that too much. He uh, kind of said that he thought Christian Kirk was a lot more than just a chain mover, which is fine. I get it, but over the course of his career, he's a reception kind of guy. He great hands. He's mm-hmm. gonna catch it if you can get him there. I mean, he's not going up and winning 50-50 balls, but he's also not a burner. But he's a good route runner, so he can create space in other ways. The question is, can Trevor get him the ball down the field? And he's done that in his career. It's just, can he do it consistently when he's the top threat? Yeah, I think that's a a valid question. And, again, you go back to the he's never been a 1,000-yard receiver. He's had a decent quarterback throwing him the ball. Um, And how does he adjust to being that number one guy in Jacksonville? And that is the valid questions. And um, But I think the, the amount of money they invested in him, yes, he's undersized. Yes, he's not that alpha receiver that we've talked about. And can he be that guy with that attention on him? And I think he can. Um, he, he's not going to be a Larry Fitzgerald kind of player. He's not going to be a guy that you said goes up and wins those jump balls. No. Um, but I think he can, he can be a guy that finishes with 80, 90 yards receiving a game. I do think he can do that and, and get over that hump. And um, The thing that worries me with him is we see this with a lot of receivers when they, accept, I mean, when they step into that number one role. We saw it with DJ Chark. Teams start to shadow you with the safety. Teams start to double cover you and say, we're going to take away the top threat in the passing game. This is a group of receivers that has, while they're solid across the board, Christian Kirk's your number one guy. He's never been a number one guy before. I mean, originally, they were if they were doubling somebody in Arizona, it wasn't Christian Kirk. Right. It, was D, it was D-Hop. Right. If, if it wasn't D-Hop, it was Larry Fitzgerald before right. that. You know what I mean? So this is going to be his first time consistently seeing this shadow coverage that with the safety hanging over the top, these double teams, and he's going to have to learn how to adjust his route running to deal with some of that stuff. I mean, he saw probably saw some of it back at Texas A&M because he was the guy there. Mm-hmm. But... It's been a while. I mean, since he's been, when he yes. got drafted into the NFL, he was down the depth chart in Arizona. So he's really just never seen those sorts of opportunities. So now he kind of, he, he's going to have to adjust a little bit, and he's not going to see it in training camp very much. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be game one when he sees, oh, they got two guys looking at me. You know what I mean? So that's what worries me is sometimes you see those receivers take a little while, a few games to really, to even adjust and get their feet wet of, how to adjust or how to get used to this. Some guys, it takes a whole season before mm-hmm. they really figure it out. So it wouldn't surprise me if he has a little bit of a down year and I wouldn't have the pitchforks out ready to run the guy out of town. But, you know, you do need a guy who can draw that double coverage because that frees up everybody else. But you also need him to be able to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all valid points. And I think, I just cannot see them having invested $80 million in him to be uh, a decoy, to be a guy that, that soaks up the double teams. Uh, can you imagine the fans in Jacksonville, how 
upset they will be on Sunday afternoons <laughs> if he's getting two targets a game and uh, goes one for 11. And, um, you know, I, I, they're looking at Laquan Treadwell. I, I don't I, – $84 million in Christian Kirk. You've got to get him the ball. You've got to find a way to make him that number one receiver. You've got to find let, let Zay Jones soak up the double teams. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of being facetious there. But I do think Christian Kirk – you're paying him like a number one. He's got to be that number one. Find a way to be that number one. He does need to perform. You're, you're young enough to do it. You've got, you know, as it stands now, I think you're, you're looking at a, a four wide receivers. you got Christian Jones and, you know, possibly Marvin Jones on the outside. Or you Zay and Marv. Zay and Marvin on yeah. the outside. And, and um, Christian Kirk in there. And that fourth guy is either going to be LaVisca or, or Laquan Treadwell. Yeah, so Marv will play on the outside. Zay can play inside and outside. Christian, ideally inside, but he can play inside and outside. LaVisca's ideally an inside guy, but they'd like to play him at running back and some outside. Jamal Agnew would have to be just a slot. Treadwell's an outside guy, but ideally we don't get this far down the depth chart. Yes. Yeah, the one thing that they, they kind of – hinted at is that they don't want to pigeonhole themselves because they have so many guys that play well in the slot and they don't have very many that play well on the outside. And what but, you just said just worries me because when you hear the word so many guys, it's not the guy. Right. You know, that in, right. We've talked about going even rewind this back to last year, training camp, you have so many guys and that's, that's what this roster, the thing that worries me, I think Christian Kirk can be that thousand-yard guy. I don't think he's ever going to be an alpha, but I do think he, you know, the, the thing that scares me is it's just guys, you know, just some guys. And we get down to the, you know, we get down to the the separate. I mean, is Marvin Jones that much worse than Laquan Treadwell? I mean, you're talking your number three guy, arguably. Is he is he a lot? I don't think the difference in them at this point in their careers. I, are, are, right, it's, mar that, it's a marginal difference. It's, it's very marginal. I think both of them are very solid players. They both have side. But, and those are your two outside receivers. Yeah. I mean, those are your two dedicated outside guys. Yeah, and, that's, and that, that is what scares me when you say the words, some of these guys, you know, just some guys. And that's, that's what this receiving core, yeah, Christian Kirk, you're paying him like a number one. He's never been a number one. Um, you need him to be. You're number one this year. Um, but Marvin Jones, to me, just kind of a guy. Zay Jones, to me, just kind of a guy. You know, Jamal Agnew, learning the position. Um, Laquan Treadwell, interesting to me because he's still young and he showed some promise last year. But in the grand scheme of things, he'd be a guy on another team. Right. He'd be a bottom of the roster receiver mm -hmm. guy on another team. So, um, again, it scares me. This receiving core, as, as many new faces and as many guys as it has on it, Potential, yes. History of producing a league, no. And I think, uh, yeah, I, I think we're going to lose some guys to injuries. It always happens. So it does scare me that there's just some guys on this this roster at receiver. Yeah, and I, I, I kind of was sitting here thinking about it almost like a basketball team. It's like, you know, they're, they're a basketball team of, you know, that wants to run 10, 12 deep as opposed to really good teams in the NBA have much tighter right. lineups. You have to have those superstar guys. And, yeah, you can shuffle around them, but we, you need to see Christian Kirk elevate. And mm -hmm. while there is belief that he's still young and that he, the best of his career hasn't shown up yet, and you could say the same thing about Zay, uh, we just haven't seen it. And right. there's no 
there's no baseline of what you can expect from these guys. So there is right now just a bunch of guys. Right. So there are there have been offenses that have made having a plethora of guys work. I mean, you've seen I mean, the New Orleans Saints did it for a few years under Sean Payton where they just platoon in groups of people just throwing them at you to where the defense was constantly on their toes. Um, but it's few and far between. Most teams end up sticking with their guys because in crunch time you know who you want right. on the field and there's a whole lot less thought process of, well, where am I going? What, what grouping should I use? No, I know, I know these are my guys. These are the guys on this team. And right now we're just not there. Right. And, uh, and maybe that happens. Maybe we'll see that evolution in training camp. Um, I, I think it's just the sticker shock of Christian Kirk when you look at it. And it actually turned out to not be – too horrible of a contract for a big market receiver, but I think it's the you're investing in Christian Kirk like a you know not a Devonte Adams, but a you know a guy in that top ten of his position in the league, and he's just not performed like it yet. You know, I, I know you like to say kind of get the guy before they he becomes the guy. You gotta get the and guy you're, before. And you're the guy you're hoping that Christian Kirk, you're hoping the Jaguars got. The guy before he becomes the guy right. uh, in Jacksonville. So well, they tried that with just about every free agent they signed. It was like they were trying to sign him before that he got the best out of them. Right. And it's like, all right, every one of these guys you signed is not going to work out that way. You got to be a little bit more calculated right. than that. Somebody's going to strike out. I mm -hmm. mean, right now they still seem to be committed to Foyer, and I think after having drafted Devin Lloyd and Chad Muma, somehow that just doesn't seem to work in my head. But maybe and we talked. Yeah, we talked about this a couple podcasts yeah. ago, and I think the Muma pick to me was the the head scratching pick of the draft. You know, when you're getting to Greg Junior kind of guys in that seventh round, right. I think that I mean, you take the best guy at, at, in the sixth or seventh round, and that's a flyer. But in the third round, you're expecting a guy to become that starter, and with you know Foyer in the middle of the field, Devin Lloyd linebacker, you spend a lot of money in free agency on mm -hmm. on Foyer and. Um, for rightfully so, he led the league in tackles last year, and 191 tackles last year. That's an unbelievable amount, obscene amount for a linebacker to that many. But then you draft two linebackers uh, with uh, two of your top four picks in the draft, and to it's me, it's just a, a strange kind of situation. If you're not, you know, are you going to make Muma? Are you going to keep him? You know, are you excuse me? You're going to keep Foyer beyond next year? I mean, that, to me, that pick just screams. What are we doing? Right, right. All right, back to the offense. Now, I'm not confident that Christian Kirk's going to lead this team in receiving. The guy who I'd bet on right now, if betting was legal in Florida, sports betting anyway, uh, would be Evan Ingram. Okay. I, th I think Evan Ingram is the guy. Um, I know Giants fans were probably pretty happy to see him gone, and it's been a very interesting career for him. I mean, he came into the league as a first-round pick out of Ole Miss. Mm -hmm. Set the league on fire. 722 yards as a rookie, which is pretty good, but then injuries, drops kind of set in. Never really had a real consistent high-level high quarterback play up there in New York. Different offenses, different coaches coming in. Now he finally walks out, and he comes here to Jacksonville where it, tight end's basically been a barren plane of existence. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it has. And we've talked about this. And, um, you know, look, going through your, your breakdowns of each position you've done on the team this week, I thought it was interesting, you know, you mentioned Evan Ingram hasn't had a season like he had since his rookie season. 722 yards, six touchdowns. And it kind of got me thinking, when was the last time a Jacksonville tight end has had anything even close to numbers like that? We looked back, we talked about it, and you found Kyle Brady was the last yep. guy. Back 2000. in 2000. 
2,000. And just barely beat him, beat him 729. Right? 729 receiving yards with three touchdowns. Three touchdowns. That's a franchise best for the Jaguars. So, and, and that, again, we the franchise has been around since 1995. You know, we're not asking for George Kittle, Kellen Winslow in his prime. <laughs> we're not asking for that. But you're talking franchise has been around for that long, and you got it, that number, back in 2000. We're in 2022, people. 2022. And you tried to address that with Julius Thomas and free agency. It didn't work out so well. You drafted guys in, you know, latter round. Mark Mercedes Lewis was a first-round pick, but never had 700 yards uh, in, a, in a season. So the thing, though, you mentioned about Ingram, you like him. And if we're looking at parallels, okay, Kyle Brady was a was a uh, free agent signee by the Jaguars. There it is. Okay, Come, came from came New York. Came from New York. It's a first round pick from the Jets back mm -hmm. then. Okay, Evan Ingram, first round pick of the Giants. Great rookie season. Can we can lightning strike twice? Can we get 729 yards out of Evan Ingram this year? I think we can. I really do. I think Evan Ingram is the guy. So. Here's one thing. We talk about how tight end friendly Doug Peterson's offense is. So Peterson was in Philly from 2016 to 2020. His main tight end there, Zach Ertz, is pretty good. So 2016, Zach Ertz had 816 yards. 17, 824. 18, 1,163. 19, 916. And then 2020 had 300 yards, but he dealt with some injuries, didn't and we uh, both beat the drum last year for Zach Ertz to be signed we did. by this team. We and he did. goes in and uh, has a good season. He signed with the Cardinals. Christian Kirk knows him. Uh, and he has a decent season with the Cardinals. And Jacksonville's tight end position last year. Oof. We saw what happened Dan there. Arnold Luke Farrell, Chris Manhurts, <laughs> Dan Arnold. I mean, it was just a, a revolving door. Dan Arnold was good to his credit uh, last year. And I like him coming back this year. Some depth there at that position, but we need somebody who can catch the ball and be that outlet for Trevor. Right. You've got to have that. And Dan Arnold was, you know, was at no touchdowns last year, uh, but you need somebody with some receiving ability at that position. Not Chris Manhurts, no. not Luke Farrell. Um, you know, d those guys are good at what they do, but they're not going to be that seven, 800 yard receiver that Evan Ingram has a potential to be. And I think Evan Ingram's going to get that. I mean, Doug Peterson's offenses have had Tight ends. I mean, we just rattled off Zach Ertz's number. All of those would be franchise records for the Jaguars. It would not surprise me if Evan Ingram leads this team in receiving yards and sets a new franchise mark for tight ends uh, it, at all. He signed a one-year contract, so he's betting on himself to have a big season and set himself up for a big contract next offseason. Whether or not the Jaguars will be able to pay that big contract if that comes to, comes to pass, We'll have to wait and see, but... If he has a, a career year, you better not let a you, tight you end walk out of the building. You can't let him you walk can't. out. You can't. I mean, Mercedes Lewis, they should have kept Mercedes around. I mean, as stable as he was at that position, and he was a great blocker, the knock on him in uh, coming out of UCLA was he wasn't that great of a blocker. And he developed into a pretty good blocker and, you know, was a guy who could get you some catches here and there. But they struggled to fill that position since Mercedes Lewis left, and he'd been hanging around the league forever. Been hanging around the league forever. So yes. Jacksonville has just not had luck at that tight end position. But I am with you. I like the wild card that Evan Ingram offers, the potential um, at that position. He's the most athletic tight end that they've had in years. Yeah. And that is exciting. It looks more like a receiver. He does look a little more like a receiver. He's not a big guy, but he's played tight end his entire career. The big question with him is can he stay healthy? 
and can he leave the drops that he had up in New York, which some of those he blamed on some hand injuries that he was dealing with. So if he can put all of that behind him and bet on himself to make this money, which means you get a motivated guy. I mean, if he's this one-year contract for a guy like him, he's going to give you everything he's and got. And two, two of my favorite signings this offseason from Jacksonville are guys like that. Prove it deals. Arden Key, who I think he's got – some potential there, six and a half sacks last year, and Evan Ingram. You've got low-risk kind of signings. You're not married to him for a long time. And I think what both of those guys can provide uh, far supersedes what they're getting paid. I mean, you've got a, a potential tight end star in Evan Ingram. I think he could be a guy that stays here for a while and evolves with Trevor. He's still young, former first-round pick, and Arden Key as well. Uh, we saw him last year in the Niners uh, when the Niners played Jacksonville and just what the versatility he brings to that team. So I like two of my favorite free agent signings this year uh, are Key and Ingram in whatever order, uh, but I love those two two signings for the Jags. All right, deal. We're, we're about out of time for this uh, News for Jags podcast, but next time around we'll talk more about the defense and uh, get a little bit more into this Arden Key's role on this defense and uh, talk some Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen. Thanks for tuning in for this News for Jags podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you.